0: This is the Swampscott Libraries Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Today on the podcast, I have an interview with Alex and David Townsend, a father-daughter duo with their own podcast called My Comical Romance. During each episode, they read and analyze vintage romance comics from the 1950s to the 1970s. Their episodes are fun to listen to while also exploring the social and cultural norms of the time period. We had a great discussion on what they love about romance comic books as a genre and about the ways their podcast deals with both the humorous and the serious elements of these stories enjoy okay great so um thank you both for joining me we're really excited to hear about um your process and your podcast and um sort of romance comic books in general because i feel like it's not a genre we hear about anymore um so any information is is helpful uh if you don't mind giving a brief overview of what the podcast is about well it's called my comical romance uh comes out once a month
1: towards the end of the month um And basically it's, um, my dad and I, uh, we discuss romance comics, uh, which are a genre of comic books that were popular from the 1940s through the 1970s. And we basically give an overview of one of the stories. We try and find the more ridiculous ones. And uh, yeah, we discuss um, the, the cultural topics that are brought up in the comic. We talk about sexism a lot. We talk about romance tropes in general. it's a, It's a very interesting little time capsule yeah.
2: of, of It's by kind of a kind of a window into uh, the whole culture of of that era, especially the older ones um, where I mean the the presumptions about romance and about male-female relationships, and roles in society are are so exaggerated because um, the the audience, the target audience for these was young teenagers, mostly and primarily girls. Um, so the the comics fed into you know a kind of fantasy that that at least the writers imagined was the the world that. Uh, young girls who are looking at which is to find true love to find that one man who will you know be your prince charming um, and and almost every episode involves some kind of uh, conflict and doubt and and um, you know sadness and fear that resolves in virtually every time the the couple getting together and the and the, the girl finding the true love
0: mm. So it sounds like a an interesting base to start out with. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about the format? You know how your episodes are structured.
1: We well. start off with uh, reading the story separately um, before the the show begins, so that we have an idea of what's what going to be uh, what we want to talk about. And then we just kind of I I do a lot of the uh, the reading of the comic, mm-hmm. and uh, Dad does a lot of the commentary where we point out things, the the themes as they come up and what bothers us, what uh, art is particularly noteworthy. Um, just uh, any jokes we want to make along the way. Mm-hmm. It's very it, freeform.
2: It's important I <laughs> probably to point out in case listeners aren't fully understanding that this is really funny <laughs> these comics, if you if you you know allow yourself to uh, not be offended, because there's plenty of ways you could be, uh, and just see it as this kind of uh, anachronism that it is, um, they can be hilarious, um, and so that's what we're really doing. We're riffing on these comics and and finding the humor in them,
0: nice. but also some some seriousness. Um. So how did you first get into the, like, where did you find these? I've never seen anything like this before. So <laughs> where did they come from?
1: Well, um, when I was a little kid, um, my dad first got me into superheroes and that from there I got into comic books in general. And I found that I gravitated more towards the, um, the silver age comics books from the 1950s to the 1970s. And because they're absolutely ridiculous they're They're silly, they're um, they're ludicrous in their plot twists. and they're obvi- they're yeah on- they're often very moralistic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I was reading up on more Silver Age comics when I came across romance comics um, on a website called uh, Mr. Kitty's Stupid Comics. And uh, from there, I just I fell in love with the whole genre. Um, because they were absolutely ridiculous. And I love analyzing gender roles and seeing how they're presented in these super compact
0: formats, because they're usually just like five pages long or so. Wow, I'm surprised you guys can get that much content out of um, like a five page <laughs> comic book. That's pretty in- pretty impressive.
2: I should point out that these are, are pretty hard to come by. Um, we visit various comic book stores uh, when we when we can, uh, there's one in Salem that we have been regulars at, and you know these stores uh, they've had a huge uh, comeback since uh, Big Bang Theory and and all the Marvel uh, movies and all, and yet they still have among tens of thousands of comics maybe 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 a dozen or two that are romance comics.
0: If they this carry is, old ones at all.
2: Of of course, and these are all used you know old comics.
0: How do you pick the ones that you discuss on your podcast? Is it more like whatever you can find? Or do you look for certain elements in in the comics that would make for a good retelling? (laughs) Well, um, I've been collecting them for
1: a few years now. So I have a couple of stories that I've been like, oh, no, we have to cover this or subtopics that are pretty fantastic. But honestly, we can open pretty much any of the romance comics and find at least one story that's worth reading and really
2: analyzing. Yeah. You know, our eyes light up when we, we see certain uh, stereotypes or certain storylines. Even, even the, the covers of most of them, you know, the cover art kind of gives it away almost immediately. Although we have found, if you listen, in, in several cases the cover art is actually not relevant to the story that we're talking about. It's like they had a different artist draw the cover and it's barely relevant to the story. But uh, th- there's just so much material in, in all of them.
0: So what, what kind of themes uh, do most have or, or like what kind of elements do these have that are so funny? Um, well, gender roles particularly are
1: a big theme. Uh, there's should women have jobs? Um, is it ever right for a woman to be the the more like emotionally or uh, have the the more dominant personality in a relationship in any sense um, there' are, the, are women
2: obligated to go on a date if if a man asks her are they sort of morally obligated to go um and, and are they some kind of a, a a dysfunctional loser if they don't go out on dates <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some of them are political. Like I mentioned, um, you know, the the ones that started coming out in the late '60s, early '70s reflected that people were being a lot more political then. Mm. Um, so we, we we've had one where a woman was dating a sort of a hippie protest guy, and and he turned out to be a real jerk, and the the kind of straight laced guy was the one who came and won her over. We're going to do one. The, the most, the upcoming one we're doing in a, in a week or so is uh, on women's lib and that's exactly what they call it um, <laughs> although it's actually the uh, the mother of the girl in the comic is, is the women's libber and uh, the, the daughter is sort of pushing back on that which is an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah it, the story is called I was the daughter of women's lib. <laughs> how hard, how difficult. <laughs> I mean, there's, women's lib doesn't come up too often in these comics. I think that for the most part, the writers who were all, you know, like middle-aged white men um, didn't want to have to deal with that sort of thing. Or they were mostly middle-aged white men, but. um, Right. There's, there's other stories. One that I'm hoping we'll get to at some point is about a woman learning that women's lib isn't about dates and stuff. It's just like equal pay and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And she decides that what she wants to do is continue dating the man who literally like won't let her order her own food at a restaurant.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so this kind of ties into a question that I was hoping to ask you guys is, um, given that these were written over the course of several decades, um, do you notice any big changes between some that were written in the 40s and those that were written in the 70s? Oh, absolutely. Um, they, like I said before, they're definitely time capsules.
1: Um, in the early 1950s ones, everyone is very straight-laced. Um, this is, of course, post-Comics Code Authority, where, where uh, it was a self-governing comics book um, group that would uh, basically promise, oh, no, there's not going to be any scandalous material in these comics. Uh, So in the 1950s, you get a lot of uh, people who, like, refuse to even dance to rock and roll. Uh, (laughs) There's a story we'll probably cover at some point called There's No Romance in Rock and Roll, and the young woman in that one discovers, like, although she's been enjoying dancing to jukeboxes and things like that before, uh, she actually really likes the guy who uh, loves old crooner music, and that now she she thinks rock and roll is just noise. Mm -hmm. And as the comics continue, they become a lot looser. Uh, There's a story we'll cover later on that's uh, about swingers, actually.
2: Wow. (laughs) Should be different. The the most recent one we did that went up a a few weeks ago uh, is actually, she found the first ever romance comic um, and it's it was called I was a pickup, and it was what 1950 I think. No, no, 1940s before the Comics Code Authority. That's, that's right, right. It was like 47 or something, and oh, um, well, that's right. It was right after the war, and and the the premise is that this this girl uh, was just out, and some guy drove by in his in his uh, convertible, and and. You know, complimented her and then invited her to go for a ride with him, and they just go for a ride. Um, but she suddenly has a reputation that she is uh, this loose girl that anybody can pick up, um, and that actually, again, as the first ever uh, comic in the genre, was extremely popular and launched the genre because it it sold so many, um, and so. For that early, early stage, there was actually a bit more racy, but I mean that's by you know very conservative standards. There's never anything that is explicitly sexual. Uh, there, there's barely even a hint of it in in most of it. Uh, I mean, kissing is the you know the one thing that can happen and, and does happen you know every time, but almost nothing else. And then by the '70s, I, as she said, you know we get more of these political ones. Um, what would you say about the art, Alexandra, you know, the the characters are always drawn, you know, to be very, very attractive, um, and the women, you know, they're not kind of over the top, uh, you know, voluptuous and all, but, but uh, has the art evolved?
1: Um, well, from what I've shown you so far, a lot of it is very clean cut art. Um, uh, brilliant artists, uh, Jack Kirby being among them, he's like one of the the big names of comic book history uh, most notably for all of the characters he created at Marvel but um, yeah he was known for being able to draw very pretty, very um, uh, consistent characters and then as the 70s came the 60s and 70s came along there's more and more like out there, um, almost Art Nouveau-style art out there. Um, Yeah, I'm going to show you more comics as time goes by where it's hard to even tell what's happening because things get increasingly surreal in some of the the comics. Though, of course, uh, (laughs) another thing to note is that the hairstyles and the fashion uh, stay very topical. Uh, no matter what era we're reading because uh, a lot of comic book artists at the time would subscribe to a lot of uh, fashion magazines in order to stay current and have different outfit ideas
0: to draw. You mentioned before that these are um, generally written by men. Uh, yes, that's true. Have you ever encountered one that was you know supposedly written by a woman?
1: <laughs> one of the um, conceits of the, the genre is that they would say that these stories were as told to uh (laughs) so and so this male writer uh which included stan lee sometimes um i have not yet come across one that uh outright claims to have a female author but uh there are a lot of ones that have a narrative device of being narrated by a woman um like in love diary where the narration boxes will just briefly be like oh yeah this is a diary entry and so then diary you'll never believe what i did next
2: (laughs) and and we should mention um in a lot of them you know we we mentioned some of the famous uh, writers and and artists but those are the ones that were affiliated with uh, or at least became part of say the marvel universe or, or you know corporation but a lot of the ones a lot of the titles were independent companies and these old comics that we have they don't identify writer or artist. They are yeah. anonymous. Where we can, we, we try to find them and we, we say who they are, but there are many that just don't have any authorship at all.
0: Wow, interesting. Have you been able to do a lot of background research, um, either historical or sociological about the time period, or you know, how do you approach that?
1: <clears throat> well, we're both uh, very interested in uh, 20th century history. Um, you know, my dad lived through a lot of it, so he's able to give insights. In <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yeah, I, I like to do a lot of research into sociological norms of, uh, of the various decades. Um, I definitely recommend um, When Everything Changed by Gail Collins, which is a feminist history of the 20th century. Mm. Uh, late twentieth century, kind of starting in the '60s, and um, my dad also is uh, very intru- interested in the same stuff, particularly from a musical perspective.
2: Yeah, so, no, I've been a, a music history, film culture uh, aficionado for a long time, rock and roll especially, which dovetails with all of this, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, how how much does uh, music play into these at all?
2: Hmm. Some. I mean, she mentioned that, that they'll have, uh, you know, music playing, which they'll you know, influence the story um, and a lot of going out to dances and things. Um, uh, I I also find some parallels and, and uh, I did an essay um, a year or so ago about um, the history of feminism in relation to rock and roll music. and. Um, so I'll draw the parallels or I'll bring in, there are so many songs from say the fifties and sixties that are almost the same theme as these comics, you know, we, we have a theme song we've adopted now for some of the more recent podcasts, um, which is a song called And Then He Kissed Me, um, things by the Shirelles or the Ronettes or one of those bands, um, and it's it there were a lot of songs like that, you know a lot of bands like that, both by men and and women uh, performers that had that same kind of romanticized view of love and relationships uh, and that perpetuated some of these same uh, stereotypes, so we try to at least work that in a little bit where there's a, a parallel mm. um
0: so another thing I was impressed with is um you mentioned before that you're it's mostly humorous and it's um for fun but there are some um pretty serious issues that you deal with like sexual assault and just general um uber sexism that happens in these comics is it difficult to switch back and forth between humor and the serious or what's that like well
1: overall this the episodes are about like critiquing the media mm-hmm. so i find that it's Um, it's a little difficult sometimes to get into the meat of how, um, troubling some of these issues are, particularly the the episode that dealt, uh, very heavily with sexual assault. And, you know, in that episode, the, the man forcibly kisses a woman and then they wind up together at the end and that's very problematic and upsetting. Um, so that one, it got, um... It got a little difficult to transition from our usual humor style to really analyzing that seriously because you know it is something that you want to take seriously it's not something that you want to just brush aside right
2: i would point out um the 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 stuff that you hear on the podcast um again we don't rehearse it we've looked at the comics we've read them and, and thought about them um but it's all spontaneous when we're doing it. But um, the reality is, it's it's the nature of my relationship with Alexandra and our conversations and and interactions outside of the podcast, outside of everything. We we have these conversations um, and have been for many many years, um, and we we also go back and forth. We'll go from political to uh, something funny to satire and and, and back you know regularly um, it, I, I think it helps that i'm pretty sure we have a pretty close uh, understanding of each other 's views and you know that we share the same views um, so we know and and you need this comfort zone we we know that if i if I say something that on the surface could seem insensitive or Uh, making light of something that's very serious, that it's not that I don't take that seriously, it's that at that moment I'm making a joke out of something, but that we can uh, turn to the the more serious side of it just as quickly and acknowledge that. Mm,
0: That's great. So just in general, um, what have been some of your favorite, either full stories or maybe um, parts of stories or some of the wilder things that you've come across? Um for me I I love every episode
1: we do but the the first one we did um was particularly outlandish where it's uh about a woman um who goes to see a therapist because she keeps horrendously sabotaging her relationships to the point that where she got a man killed <laughs> goading him to do a dangerous dive but before that she like she made a man go blind she Uh, financially ruined a (laughs) man, like serious things that, okay, it makes sense that you're going to therapy for this. And then naturally she starts dating the therapist. (laughs) And she realizes, oh no, I just had daddy issues before. This is real love now. And so I'm not going to sabotage him. After he says, oh, I'm going to go on this ancient rickety bridge And if you're really going to sabotage me, now's the time to wobble it and make me fall to my death.
0: It's kind of an interesting therapy style, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, hopefully he doesn't try that with too many patients. (laughs) Um,
0: Would would you say that also, uh, it sounds like the stories usually end uh, on a good note or almost always. Yeah, Um, there's
2: very few that don't end with happily ever after.
1: Yeah, there's a few um, Scarlett O'Hara type stories where it's like, oh, I've learned my lesson now and in the future I'm going to find real love because, you know, now I, I know what it's like to have loved and lost.
2: Oh, that, that's a theme. The The second story we did, you asked some of our favorites, I, that might be my favorite, um, right from the, the title called Dangerous Corner, um, <laughs> which, as we point out in the... The episode has absolutely nothing to do with the story. Um, and it, 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 we won't go into the detail, but it involves a, a woman who, who accidentally runs into a guy at a department store and something just sort of clicks. And throughout the episode, they kind of keep running into each other and then he's sort of after her. and. Uh, We only find out, well, I probably shouldn't even reveal it, but we we only find out later that she was engaged to be married the next day or something. And she can't help herself from falling for this guy who they just happened to meet in a department store. And we also point out, if you go through the story, she barely says anything to him the entire episode. He's the one doing the talking and she's thinking in her head how she's conflicted about her feelings. But how they could fall in love when she doesn't even talk to him is a big question. But the theme there, which we really dig into and I find kind of fascinating, is this notion that the falling in love is a kind of a, you know, a, yeah, like a biological process that you have no control over. And not to use disease in these times as a good <laughs> metaphor, um, but that that and it and it, it just it happens. You, you just you you can't stop it. You can't do anything about it. You know, Cupid's arrow hits you. And here she was already engaged to marry this other guy who happened to be her like childhood sweetheart. But when she runs into this guy, it's just that's the real thing. I've got to do this. I've got to break up with the other guy and we're we're gonna get together. And even when it happens, when he, she breaks up with him, the other guy is like, oh okay, uh I guess that's what needs to happen. You know, he, he buys into it also. Um, and, and I think that's it's such a fascinating theme that l- love and ultimately marriage and, and forever um, are not within our individual control. The, the, it just comes from outside and you just have to roll with it.
0: I wonder if it has to do with sort of a post-World War II situation where um, there's a lot of emphasis on the home and family and um, making sure that everybody's paired up and in their nuclear, you know, families. Do you think that has that has something to do with it at all? Certainly in yeah. the 1950s issues, um,
1: just this idea that everyone's looking to get married, everyone's um, looking for a happily ever after, and it's only going to happen if you're straight-laced and within rigid gender roles. Um, it, towards the 70s and the, the late 60s, that's when they started getting more experimental with their stories. Like I mentioned, the, the women's lib issues, the, um, the, the swingers issue, but that's also when they started doing issues about like interracial romance and even one that heavily implies that a woman is a lesbian, mm. except she winds up with a man at the end. So, <laughs> but
2: but totally you fine. make a really good point about the, the post-war uh, environment. I think that that's absolutely true. Uh, and it, it's ref, it reflected in everything at the time, movies, TV, uh, you know, the, this notion of return to normalcy. And, and normal is defined as, you know, the, the nuclear family and, and everybody just uh, settling into their roles. Um, the interesting thing is that, that uh, the generation that these comics were aimed at, who, who were, again, teenagers by the early 50s, was the same generation that then became, you know, the rock and roll fans and and essentially, uh, you know, the forerunner of everything that happened in the 60s. Um, so even while the the market was responding to those images and those stories initially, um, and I point out in at least one episode that my mother was, was in that market, you know, she was a teenager in, in the early 50s. Um, the the need for or desire for new ideas and new stories and new adventures and all kicked in um pretty soon thereafter and, and we, we do see that reflected in these comics as well hmm.
0: great uh anything else that you wanted to share about the, the comics themselves or the themes that you've been picking up as you go along well
2: the thing i wanted to to throw in there that um we've uh, Talked about the other time we did an interview is uh, you know the genesis of this this style for us this interaction um, because uh, it goes back to uh, when Alexander was quite little um, and I would read her bedtime stories uh, and so we we started with you know I would just read your typical bedtime stories uh, for years and years. Um, and at some point, uh, we started reading stories that were longer stories that, that had chapters, and you know you take time to read them. But they were they were still children's stories. So we read the Boxcar Children. I'm sure you know all of these. Um, we we read a, a lot of Nancy Drew, and then we had a bunch of other um, individual story books that that I read, um, and especially. And they were boring. Yeah, especially with, for example, the, the Boxcar Children was probably the, the most uh, prominent example, but also the Nancy Drew. Um, those are really poorly written from a you know literary point of view, and they're very, very uh, formulaic and, and silly. Um, and at some point, I can't say exactly when, but she was probably six or seven years old, um, I just couldn't take reading them straight anymore, and, and because they were so silly. So I would start making fun of the stories while reading them. So I would read what the story says, and then I would throw in a joke or a, or a critique or, or some other uh, play on the, the storyline. Um, like, for example, in Boxcar Children, the, the youngest boy one of the the recurring jokes is that he's always hungry and he's always eating. And his brothers and sisters are are always making fun of him for always wanting to eat. And it, it gets to the point where if you notice it, you can't stop noticing it because it's like the only thing they ever do is is kind of dump on their brother for eating too much. So I would make fun of that, like they're abusing this kid, leave him alone. Uh, And that just continued from there, where we looked forward to bedtime because we were going to have these funny adventures and jokes, as opposed to just the stories themselves. And that really, that interaction kind of laid the the groundwork for this role that we now have of reading these stories and making fun of them.
0: It's good good to um, probably have the the same sense of humor and same interest as uh, one of your family members. It's... Especially in these times. Have you tried to record an episode remotely yet? I know you don't live in the same spot.
2: <laughs> we're about to do that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be using this same technology. Uh, I, I think it, it should be okay. I mean, the sound quality seems pretty good. Um, people don't now, expect perfection. The, um,
1: the tricky bit is that we're going to be changing our format a little bit. Because um, previously we've both been reading the story ahead of time and then commenting on it together and being able to look over the comic as we go. And now we're going to try uh, having me describe what's going on and um, having Dad comment on the the elements of the story as we go along. Mm He happens to have read this story before, but if this pandemic continues for uh, several months now, then eventually we're going to get into ones that he hasn't read yet. Right.
0: Um, can you, rec- is there even a modern day equivalent to these comics um, that you can think of? Hmm. Um, well, the closest I can think of is actually in the world of Japanese comics, uh, manga, hmm.
1: um, where romance is a very, um, very large genre. Um, but those stories, um, they don't have the same sort of punch to them because they're much longer. They, they tend to be stories that last for dozens of volumes and have whole elaborate soap opera storylines to them. Um, in American comics, it's a genre that uh, people try to revive every now and then. Like I collect every romance comic that I can get my hands on. So, I've got a few modern collections, and I don't know, they just uh, haven't been able to quite get the formula down. So, if you want to read some of these comics for yourself, I highly advise looking for some of the collections that have been put together over the years. There's Marvel Romance, there's Young Romance, uh, which collects some of the original Jack Kirby, Joe Simon stories, um, and there's. Uh, showcase presents uh young
0: love from dc comics great um yeah maybe we can think about ordering those for the library if there's a sure yeah. um that would be fantastic yeah and then typically on the podcast just as a final question um usually i interview another librarian about a book that they recently read and um use that as a recommendation to our patrons um especially in light of the current pandemic. Um, I think everybody's looking for for different things to read and, and look at. Mm-hmm. Um, can either of you recommend, it doesn't have to be a book, it could be sort of any media that you're consuming right now that um, has taken your mind off everything? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh,
1: let's see. Well,
2: well I, I'm... Let me explain. Um, and this is something that I think is, it's good for any um, parents, and I know you have a lot of parents of young children who uh, come to the library and rely on the library, uh, what I was describing about, uh, the bedtime stories and all, um, became the the basis on which Alexandra, as she grew a little older, um, took up an interest in reading herself. And, and we even remember the transition because we got the, the Harry Potter series when they first came out. And I read her the first two or three books and, and then by then she was so eager to know what was happening, she started reading the next ones before I had a chance to read them herself. She has since become the most voracious reader I've ever known and has read thousands more books than I've ever read, even though she's half my age. Um, So when you ask Alexandra what's she been reading lately, it's usually about half a dozen books all at the same time. (laughs) I am
1: am reading four books right now. (laughs) Um, one that I'm particularly enjoying is um, Terry Pratchett's uh, The We Free Men. That is um, a Tiffany Aching book from um, his Young Adult series that's still set in the, the larger Discworld. world, mm-hmm. um, if you're familiar with Terry Pratchett's writing. Um, he's a sci-fi fantasy humor writer um, who wrote brilliant things, and it's, the Tiffany Aking series is very clever. Um, just a nice deconstruction of fairy tale tropes and um, interesting insight into uh, elements of fantasy that don't always get that close of a look. Great. So it's
2: pretty good. I've been um, also reading Terry Pratchett because Alexander recommended. Um, <laughs> and uh, a, a really fascinating book that. She also gave me as a Christmas present. Um, since you have the better memory, Alexandra, what's the author's name again?
1: Uh, are you talking about the historical time travel one?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I have no idea.
2: You don't remember her name? Oh, D. Her name. No, 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 the, um, the the one where she goes back in time to the slave times.
1: Oh, oh Octavia Butler.
2: Yes, uh, so Octavia Butler, and the book, I even can't remember the title because I have no memory. Um, Monsters Regiment? No, no, the, the the her book. Kindred. Kindred, it's called. Thank you. Mm. It's, it's, I highly recommend it. It's, it's amazing. It, it, it does involve time travel, but, but it's mostly a, a sociological and history story of this African American woman from the present, although the present was um, a couple of decades ago when she wrote it. Uh, who somehow goes back in time and ends up on a a slave plantation um, and uh, has to deal with that situation and and understand what life was like for uh, slaves and and female slaves in particular. Um, And it's just a fascinating story. Excellent.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a fantasy Mm. that we should be (laughs) heading right now.
2: Yeah. Definitely. I'm also reading and been focusing a lot on, on local history. That's something that um, at some other point I'm going to approach the library about because I've been doing a lot of uh, research and writing on history of this area, uh, Swampscott, Lynn, Salem, um, and I'm finding it absolutely fascinating. Just some great stuff out there.
0: Mm, that's great. Yeah, we have um, some historical records that are. At the library, and then they're sort of spread in a couple of buildings. Oh yeah, I've been
2: in there uh, in, back in the day and when I could go there.
0: Right. Hopefully soon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'll definitely thank you for inviting us. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, well,
2: to thank, thank you, and thanks for what you're you're doing. Um, I think it's, it's very valuable that you guys are keeping in contact with us out here.
0: Mm-hmm. We're trying. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you both have a good day. And great. Yeah, Thank you so much. All right. right. Thank you.